Welcome to Empower Humans. Welcome again to the Empower Humans podcast. This is episode 107. Today's episode is very unique, very in-depth with Jennifer Longmore. We had a wonderful interview here. She has a website called souljourneys.ca. That's S-O-U-L, journeys with an S, dot C-A. And uh, she talks about all kinds of ways to enlighten ourselves, to align our lives with our purpose, and really find that successful accomplished place and feeling that we're all seeking constantly, aren't we? Aren't you sitting there seeking and feeling this as a constant drive in your life? And sometimes we feel lost. Sometimes we feel like we're in a groove and we're and we're on track and uh, then something happens. We talk about principles, habits, and uh, even I got into a lot of very personal, vulnerable things there in the latter half of our interview. So you can hear that and I'm okay with that. Uh, otherwise, I wouldn't have gotten into some of those things just to kind of get an idea of some of how she does this with clients as well. Um, we obviously didn't go into near the depth that she would do with, with clients, but, uh, I got into a lot of, uh, in-depth principles and things in my own personal life experiences and things that have driven me and, and certain traumas and things. I think we've all dealt with traumas. Um, before we go any further and before we jump into this interview, I just want to remind you, uh, you know, the drill, if you've listened to us for any length of time, you are absolutely priceless. Don't believe anything to the contrary. I've been hearing lately about these suicide rates going up with everything going on with this virus and uh, things in the world in general. Um, I'm not sure if it's entirely accurate, but I heard that within about a month's time, they had about a year's worth of suicides just in the state of California. If you're in that place of desperation, please, please, please don't go that route. Please reach out. If, if to nobody else, you have my permission to reach out to me. I'm no trained professional, but I love humanity. That's why we do this Empower Humans podcast. I ain't perfect. There's all, all kinds of ways. And, I, and even if you're not quite to that state, don't get to that state, please. Uh, but uh, reach out to friends, family, neighbors. Stay connected. Do everything we can to create positive energy. And everyone faces different challenges. Some people have certain forms of depression and other things. I honor and love and appreciate and value you to the level of pricelessness, regardless of what those challenges might be. So remember, again, you are priceless. And of course, along with that, you are never, ever, ever alone. You are never alone. You are loved. You are appreciated. You are valued. No matter what you've done right or wrong, no matter what challenges you've had in your life, please remember that. And I think the what we discuss in this podcast interview will reiterate these truths and facts in your life. I also want to remind you of our challenges. Study. Keep studying. Start studying. Whatever it is, study, learn. Follow your gut of the things you need to study because that'll be uh, largely what will govern uh, what you do with your life and what you're good at and what you're knowledgeable in. Study, learn, grow, develop these things. And uh, there's all kinds of resources. I've been listening to a book uh, by Demi Moore called, I think it's called Inside Out. This is an autobiography. Very in-depth, fascinating, uh, heart-wrenching at times, joyous at times. She's had quite an interesting life. She grew up uh, partially in New Mexico, moved around a lot uh, with her family. Uh, and, I, of course, I grew up in New Mexico. She was down in Roswell. Uh, so she talks about all that stuff. I haven't even finished the book, but I love hearing people's stories. That's one of the things I study because I think real-life, raw human stories are uh, fascinating as can be because it's just truth. And we talk about that uh, today. There's some principles in this podcast, by the way, on that note. And we're going to get into these last challenges and jump into the interview. She talks about something called Akashic Records. Uh, you may or may not know what that is. She explains some of what that is. Regardless of your belief system, regardless of if you're an atheist or religious person or somewhere in between or have your own just kind of personal spiritual journey that you're on, 
you are loved and respected, and these principles apply uh, regardless. And we we talked about all that on a, a lot of levels of whether people believe in spirituality and all these various things or not. Um, so uh, our second challenge, of course, make great moments. Define what great moments mean and then go about making them happen. Again, these are pillars in our lives that will overshadow the maybe shortcomings and other things that weren't as stellar in our lives. Oftentimes, this involves loved ones. Oftentimes, uh, we need to surprise and love and and make a decision in life where we uh, are focused on people. Because it, at the end of the day, that's what's going to matter. I guarantee that's what that's what we're going to look back on. If you go talk to anyone in a in an old folks home, in a nursing home, of people who are maybe at a more advanced age, uh, I guarantee you that's largely the message you're going to hear. Uh, so make great moments. A lot of people, we're going to have all regrets. Not so much, I don't think, the things that we did as much as the things we didn't do. So make great moments, study, and of course, the last challenge, let's keep doing this podcast together. I'm really excited for this interview. Like I said, uh, a lot of unique principles we talked about here. Um, take all of it with your own personal grain of salt with your life and your life experience and do what you need to do. Follow your gut, listen to your gut, and be open to your intuition and meditation and do the things that you need to do to just be in tune with yourself, just to constantly better yourself and uh, be enlightened and therefore have a light to shine for the rest of the world. So without further ado, my friends, love you, appreciate you, always flattered you spend time with me. Here's our interview with the one and only Jennifer Longmore. Here we go. We have the privilege today to be here with uh, the one and only Jennifer Longmore, CEO of Soul Journeys. We're going to get into what all that is and what that means. You're also an elite business coach, best-selling author, podcaster, uh, world-renowned leader on soul purpose. And a lot of people out there may or may not know what that means, and we'll get into all of that. But how are you doing today, Jennifer? Oh, my goodness. I am so fantastic, and I have been <laughs> looking forward to our chat I, I feel like a lot of magic is going to happen during our chat today. So we'll, we'll see what that is as it evolves. <laughs> That's a lot of pressure getting some magic, but we're going to get magic. Exactly. I mean, I'm in no Las pressure. Vegas. We have magic here, so it's already in the air in <laughs> Vegas. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> so we'll bring some onto this call. <laughs> um, I love Vegas. Vegas is a great place. It is. It's getting hot. I mean, as we record, maybe someone's listening to this in December, but it's, it's almost June as we record this, and it's... Uh, it was like I saw 107, 109 yesterday. So, <laughs> uh, oh my goodness, yeah, no, that's oof. just the beginning. It's not even technically summer, but I digress. Uh -huh. So, <laughs> you're coming to us from Canada, outside of Toronto. Uh, did you grow up in Canada? We've had some guests from Canada in the recent past and distant past. Uh, did you grow up in that area? I did, yeah. I like to consider myself an honorary American. Most of my clients are American. Most of my colleagues are American. I spend an awful lot of time in the U.S., mm -hmm. and uh, but you will hear my Canadian accent for sure. <laughs> yeah, I like the Canadian. It, it keeps us on our toes a little bit. I've kind of got a middle Canadian accent. If, if people are from the West Coast or from the East Coast, they tend to have a much heavier accent. I tend <laughs> to have a more neutral one, so people will often think I'm American because I don't sound, you know, overly Canadian. Yeah. That's when I start dropping the A's, and I'm going to try and drop them as many times as I can <laughs> during our chat. <laughs> A's and a boot and all these things. See, my mom grew and up in... Yeah, a boot and all that. I've known some Canadians. Great people, excellent uh, neighbors to to our north. I And certainly not as, as hot up there as, as here. And you guys love your hockey. Are you a hockey fan? <laughs> uh, I will say that... 
Well, I did not appreciate my dad having it on the TV during <laughs> my time growing up and uh, not allowing us to watch anything else. When I went to a, a hockey game in person, I have to say that it's much more dynamic to be able to watch it live. So, yes, I did appreciate it. Yeah. Okay. Good. I, I tried... We're very passive aggressive up here. We like we are very. We have a lot of road rage, so we play the whole uh, <laughs> apathetic, chill card. But we have a lot of road rage, and we love really violent sports like hockey, <laughs> aggressive sports. Yeah. Well, <laughs> so don't don't be fooled by Canadians. Some people like kind of getting their own aggression out vicariously watching these fights and and things that go on in, yeah. in hockey. But Toronto yeah, had exactly. a. You guys had a winning NBA championship team uh, in the last year or two. We I think it was did. Last year. We did. For the yeah. first time but ever. All of a sudden, people started caring about caring about basketball. And prior to that, they didn't know a single person's name. Funny yeah. how sports do that to people. <laughs> well, the funny thing <laughs> with sports, and my audience knows, I grew up more as a musician, but I followed sports and things, you know. And I'd always watch like everyone the Super Bowl and stuff, but. It's like, well, what city you're in determines uh, who you root for generally and, and how good you feel about yourself if the team's doing well or not. But uh, anyway, we don't need to talk too much about sports. I uh, <laughs> I just want to make sure that uh, we kind of get an idea who you are and and that whole thing. I, I will say my mom grew up in Minnesota, and they have they have kind of a little uh, accent too because they're up not, yeah. not far from you guys. Uh, so I, I grew up with some of that as well with the Minnesota accent. So, uh, <laughs> let's get into what you do because it's very intriguing to me. Uh, some, some people might be caught off guard by some of this stuff because, uh, uh, it's, it's not always in the mainstream, especially the mainstream media and things, but it, in a lot of ways it is as well. I mean, it, there's a lot of things re- revolving around energy and uh, I don't, I don't want to put words in your mouth, though. Tell me about what you do, and, and maybe first of all, tell me how you got to this place where you're doing what you do. <laughs> mm-hmm. Yeah, I'd love to. So I grew up in a home where we were very open to a lot of things and a lot of intuitive sort of things. And I was predicting a lot of things when I was really young, but of course I didn't know that. Because when you're a kid, you don't know what you don't know. So mm. I just thought everyone showed up in the world the way our, you know, I think all of us think our families are, you know, everyone's having the same experience, I guess is what I'm trying to say. Mm-hmm. So my mom's dad used to solve crimes with the police as a psychic medium. So that's just, it was just part of our family. You know, it was just normal to me. It wasn't until I went out into the world and realized that that's not how the majority of people interacted. And so I would tell people things that I thought they knew. I didn't realize I was telling them anything they didn't know. Mm. And I would get some pretty horrified looks at a young age. And I knew those looks weren't good, but I thought it was me. Mm. You know, like something about me as a, as a person, like my character. I didn't realize it was because I was freaking them out by what I was saying. So I spent a good chunk of my life trying to figure out who I needed to be in order to make other people happy. I didn't like people feeling uncomfortable in my presence. I didn't like knowing that something I said that I didn't even know what I said was making people feel so uneasy. Mm. And this isn't all people, of course, but my general experience and how we internalize the world as kids, we, when in doubt, we will assume it's our fault. Yeah. And uh, so I spent a great deal of time trying to figure out how to be a chameleon, how to fit in, even though I had these gifts at the time, they felt like a curse. 
So I spent my high school years trying to fit in and doing all the things that high school kids do, going to parties, smoking pot, getting drunk Mm -hmm. on the weekends. I still had really good grades because I don't know why, just school was kind of easy for me. Uh But I, I, I didn't even like doing all of those things, but I did it because other people were doing it. And uh, so I, I was going to go out and do that. But then in my late teens, I realized, oh, this this curse isn't going away. If I just decide to lean into it and see what it might be showing me and teaching me, maybe there's a silver lining in all of this. So I started exploring astrology and Reiki and crystals and different things, not really having an attachment to any of it, but just really exploring that whole other world that I had initially viewed as a curse. So it opened me up to just see that there's not really much that's normal in the world, right? We mm. we like to think that we have a definition of normal. Yeah. After I went to university, I graduated with a forensic in a forensic social work degree. So I went into forensics, investigated crimes against children, and that's oh. where I really learned that there's no such thing as normal. And. So I spent many years doing that, which was interesting because I learned a lot about human behavior. I also learned that there's no such thing as normal. And when I started my business doing, I'll say, intuitive coaching, right, like guiding people on what their purpose is in life and how to get there and how to create the life they want, that people were able to tell me things about their childhood and about their traumas and disappointments and abuses of power and all kinds of things because I just gave off a vibe that I could handle it, that I had the emotional maturity to handle people's stories and also to not go into judgment about it and, and really be a safe place for people to tell me their deepest, darkest secrets. Right, right. Wow. That's uh, that's an interesting journey for sure, and uh, <laughs> and and I say that in with no level of uh, condescending anything. It's just it's an interesting, uh-huh. unique journey uh, because um, you, you have a sort of an intuition, and you kind of knew you had an extra intuition. Sounds like, and and before we go further uh-huh. on on some of that, you talk about life purpose and things. Um, what what initially drew you to this place where? you pursued uh, forensic social work and this crimes against children, because that's, that's quite a heavy uh, place to, to be operating. It sounds like I've never, you know, worked in that field, mm-hmm. <laughs> but what, what, mm-hmm. what possessed you to, to pursue that? At the time, it seemed like it was the only job available. But when I look back on my <laughs> life, my dad's parents were foster parents. Uh-huh. So I was used to being around kids and a lot of kids that came from really crazy situations. And I was never privy to those situations in the sense that they didn't, you know, I was too young and it would have been inappropriate to tell me what these kids were coming from. But I spent a great deal of time with uh, the children that were coming into my grandparents' homes and really viewed them as part of the family. It was always painful to me when I'd go back to visit my grandparents and they were gone and you know, there was no way to really say goodbye because the government would just show up and say, okay, we're leaving today. And so, uh, but I I really got to see that as a young kid that life hands us a lot of situations that at the time we don't realize what we're being prepared for. Hmm. And that each of us kind of chooses this different, you know, it's not to say that, that, they were calling that to themselves. I don't mean that, but what I mean is that each of us chooses 
a journey in life that we only we can navigate. We're given a whole bunch of obstacles that only we can navigate, and we're given a bunch of gifts that only we can share. Yeah. So when I was finishing up university, I was constantly getting approached by professors that were executive directors of these organizations and police departments and so on, and I kept turning them down. I had no interest mm. in <laughs> dealing with really intense situations. But the last year I was graduating, the government changed and they literally created a business model for all of the social services. So they cut social services like crazy. And the only jobs that were available were these investigative roles. Wow. And um, so I got hired to be on like a task force between the Children's Aid Society, which is child protection and various places and the police so we investigated all the crazy cases the police you know a high profile cases investigating police officers investigating teachers investigating politicians investigating you know celebrities and, and different folks and then on top of that the majority of what we were doing was investigating cults and really intense abuses against children so yes i grew up very wow. quickly at 23 years old I already felt mature. I already felt like an old school. And nothing, no amount of schooling can prepare you for the real world when you knock on someone's door and say, I need to talk to you about the bruises all over your child's back. There's nothing that prepares you for that conversation. So I, Mm. you know, not unlike what's going on in the world right now, we have a lot of cognitive dissonance. We're all conditioned and programmed to believe that we have to trust our government, that they always want what's best for us, that we have to trust our doctors, that they always know what's best for our bodies. So all kinds of things we're conditioned to believe at a very young age. And yet our experience in the world tells us something different. And at 23, I had an immense amount of cognitive dissonance because I was investigating teachers and these were supposed to be safe people to go to. I was investigating police officers. They were supposed to be safe people to go to and on and on and on. But I grew up very quickly and I, I say this loosely, it was like getting a PhD in a bunch of different topics because I learned about the cycles of violence. I learned about child development. I learned about human psychology. I learned about cycles of addiction. I learned about all kinds of things that no textbook and no university classroom would have ever taught me. So after all of those years of really being immersed in chaos and crisis and and trauma and tragedy, um, I, I mean, people make fun of police, for example, for eating donuts and drinking lots of coffee. Well, guess what? Yeah. <laughs> now that I've been in it, I know that it's because you're really just trying to replace, you're just trying to give yourself energy. You're giving yourself quick energy fixes because you're doing what are so burned out. You're just naturally and unconsciously guided to things that are going to give you a hit of energy. Mm. So I... Uh, after my dream was completely burnt out and I realized that the system was never going to change. It was a very crisis-oriented, like internally, it was a very crisis-oriented situation. I actually loved my clients. I did my very best to keep people out of court. I did my very best to create voluntary agreements with people where possible, where criminal charges weren't necessary, but where we really needed to keep our eyes on, on the kids. Uh, and a lot of my colleagues didn't like that. They were very court-happy. They were happy to take everyone to court and be punitive. And my belief is I'd rather have someone spend energy repairing their family rather than fighting me in court. Because they're going to do something. So I might as well set it up for them to win and help them save face. 
and to create a partnership with them rather than be punitive. That was just my philosophy, and it worked really well for me, and I had a lot of voluntary participation. Hmm. So hmm. I, interestingly as an aside, that kind of stuff actually prepared me for business because I can sell people things without ever selling them things, and I don't like to sell the way we kind of view <laughs> selling things. Yeah. But I can get people's buy-in to why they need to, you know, why it's time to be in, in an energy of transformation rather than being in an energy of battle and mm-hmm. how it, you know, where do we want to spend our precious time, right? Do we want to spend it fighting and being in conflict or do we want to spend it moving forward? Yeah. So anyways, I, uh, I went into corporate for two years and did sexual harassment investigations and other like fraud investigations and so on. I had done this also in university. And so the gift in that was that I got to work a tree nine to five and at after five o'clock, I had time to actually go and repair my adrenals, right? By going out and ha- being able to keep my plans with friends and going to the gym when I said I wanted to go to the gym and also going to networking events because I kept feeling like I needed to start a business, but I had always been conditioned that the only noble way to make a living and the only uh, legitimate way to make money is to work hard for it. So I didn't know what this language was. It felt like learning alien. <laughs> Right? What does what uh-huh. this entrepreneur speak? Right? I didn't understand it. Mm-hmm. So by immersing myself in different networking groups, I got to see that, hey, I actually have way more in common with these folks than I realized. Uh, if they can do it, I can do it. There were, I started meeting people that were doing what I do now because I didn't even know that was possible. So eventually, it, you know, it got to the point where I realized I needed to take the leap, that my purpose was calling me to do what I do now. And there was never going to be a right time. Nobody was ever going to give me a permission slip. (laughs) I needed to just decide. And it's in the deciding I've learned over the years, and I'm sure everyone listening can agree, that no amount of wanting something to happen is going to make it happen. But once we decide something's going to happen, then everything else kind of lines up to align with that decision. I eventually took the leap. And 16 years later, I've been doing the business full time and it's evolved a lot over the years. But uh, what what my business really is all about is helping people get really clear on their purpose and helping support them on a practical level, but also on a spiritual level to really feel like they're living their fullest life possible. Mm. Wow. There's a lot there. You're talking about uh, transformation. You're talking about making decisions. You're talking about... uh people's purpose and things falling into place in your life. Um, I want to get into some of this, obviously, very, I like to go uh, as deep as possible (laughs) uh, Uh within the confines of, uh, you know, people's comfort levels and stuff. But um, I'm fascinated by this concept because apparently you work a lot with what's, some people may or may not have heard this term before. And truthfully, I haven't really studied in depth uh, what it means, but this term Akashic records, because one of the things you okay. talk about, a lot of people out there talk about transformation, everyone from, you know, famous Tony Robbins people and uh, men and women in the self-help uh, realm and in other places, weight loss and so on. But you talk about that this is the only real tool, transformational tool that people will ever need uh, to thrive with their purpose and to really just kind of create that life that that they want. 
Tell us what that is. I don't even know if I'm pronouncing it right. Akashic Records uh-huh. being something that at least to us uh, Western folks uh, don't hear a lot about, but I, I've started uh-huh. hearing more about it in recent months and years. Tell me what that is, uh-huh. if you would, and, and why that's such a powerful tool. Yeah, it's a great question, and most people don't know what it is, and I didn't know what it was, and I had been working in them for years without realizing it until probably about 16 years ago. So Mm -hmm. another term for Akashic Records might be the Book of Life or the Book of Truth or the Book of Wisdom. It's referred to a lot in various religious texts, but it's, it's basically this metaphoric book, this energetic book that stores all the information about our soul, all the things we've said, done, believed, all the deeds and actions in this lifetime, but also any other lifetime. And the reason why we would access them is to get clear on, because most people want to know, what's the meaning of my life? Like, why am I here? What am I here to learn? What am I here to contribute? What am I here to master? What's my unique purpose that I'm meant to share with other people? And the Akashic Records answer all of those questions and more. So when we open our Akashic Records, and I've got a free download on my website, which we can talk about in a little bit, because that way people can dig into it a little bit more. Mm-hmm. But when we when we open up our Akashic Records by intention, right, asking our, our higher guides to open our Akashic Records, we can feel an energy. We can feel a space being created. We feel a union with our soul. We feel a familiarity. It's almost like a homecoming. So just opening our records and sitting in them, you know, sitting in that space and not doing anything else but sitting in it is enough to create alignment and a homecoming and a sense of clarity and an awareness that we are more than this body. We are more than this lifetime. We are more than this experience that we're having in this moment. And then we can ask our guides for all kinds of things. You know, it, it can tell us anything we want to know and it's not meant to be a psychic tool where we just become codependent on it and we can't make a single move in our life without consulting it it's really meant to keep us on track with our purpose so that we don't waste our precious time getting sidestepped and sidetracked on things that don't really matter and aren't really ours to take care of a lot of as humans we love to get involved in other people's business why is that person doing this why are they choosing that why is this happening? Why aren't they doing it this way? It's like, we don't need to know. <laughs> it's not our path. You know, let's focus on what our path is. Let's get clear on what our contribution is, and let's focus on ourselves. So it's a really powerful tool. And aside from helping us get clear on our purpose, it can also help us make really aligned decisions for our business or our career, make really aligned decisions around money, help us understand if there are any blocks for us receiving money, help us understand if there's any blocks around uh, health and how to get healthier and, and what to stop doing, what to start doing, and so on and so on. So I I love it because it's very efficient. You can get the same results with uh, hypnosis or things like that, but usually in hypnosis you're having to do five or six sessions to get to the root of one issue. There's one hour of being completely awake and lucid any Akashic Records, you can tackle, you know, 10 to 20 issues. Hmm. Okay. I, uh, as you explain all that, uh, a whole bunch of things pop in my head. <laughs> and uh-huh. uh, some, of, some of them are related to me personally. Some of them are related to humanity at large, including the fact that most of us as humans 
uh, I think as a general idea, I think most people have some sort of spiritual belief, whether that's a religion, whether it's just a personal uh-huh. spiritualism of some sort. And there are a fair amount of people who don't as well. Uh, maybe uh-huh. atheism and things. And, and this Akashic Records and the other things that you talk about, um, I don't know to what extent you connect that to some higher power deity. But uh, what would you say, uh-huh. first of all, to people who don't have any sort of spiritual belief? And with all due respect, because it's not ever an us versus them. We're all humanity. Whatever's, uh-huh. whatever's true uh-huh. is true, right? It doesn't matter what our opinions are ultimately uh, as to what's true. We'll all respect opinions, uh-huh. I suppose. But what do we have to say to those who don't have, <laughs> who might say, oh, this is hokey. I'm going to turn this off. <laughs> what would you say to those people? I would say, I would say honor that. I, <laughs> I just, you know, as I really, I, I'm not here to convince people and I wouldn't want people to do that to me either. Right. So I believe that we all are on a journey and whatever truth is meant to resonate with us at this time is what we take in and whatever is not meant to resonate, we let go of. Hmm. So, because nowhere in the history of telling someone to believe something like, think of any time someone said, you have to believe this, and why don't you believe this? <laughs> Nowhere in the history of that has anyone said, you were right. Thank you for telling me what to do, right? Well, Thank you know. for telling me what to believe. Our beliefs are, are our one sort of gateway of freedom, right? And so when someone tries to impose beliefs on us, it, it really it tends to bump up against our sensibilities. Uh, what I would yeah. say is that I think as for all of us on a journey, and this is true for me too, that I believe part of our journey is to constantly take in information and then check it against our existing beliefs and values to see if our existing beliefs and values still make sense for the person we're becoming. And so when we get different information that goes against what we believed up until this moment, we can at least check in and say, does this still feel true for me or am I open to taking in new possibilities and taking new things under advisement? Yeah. Yeah, I appreciate that perspective. It's very liberating, non-confrontational and respectful. And uh, I uh-huh. and, and as you say that, too, I think about, you know, our belief systems are based largely, it's, it seems, on a culmination of life experience. Just the fact that we're sitting here speaking uh-huh. English, we had usually parents uh, who were saying, making noises around us that we didn't understand probably as babies and quickly learned to understand this means this refers to this and this means that and and started to also mimic those things <laughs> from those people around us as just an example that are and then people in other countries who speak other languages there's a different sound that they use for a lot of the very same things um so i, I think that's maybe an analogy here for for some of this as well where people have different belief system and also recognizing that you know for example the language Someone's not wrong because they speak French, you know, to use a lot of your fellow Canadians that uh-huh. use that language. Uh, or da- like I lived in Chile and I learned to speak Spanish. Uh, there's different uh-huh. languages people use, uh, but also uh, it's it's just a – I don't know completely where I'm going with it, but there's a there's a culmination of life experience that gets us to a certain place. And I think the, the difference is a level of openness of, well, am I open to – uh, hearing, learning mm-hmm. something maybe that I wouldn't have embraced previously. Kind of that teaching old dog new tricks kind of thing as people get older. Mm-hmm. Do, do people get hard and, and cold and closed off more as they get older, would you say? <laughs> I don't know. 
I think it depends on life experience. Like I think as I was kind of alluding to before, the one thing every single human has in common is that we all want to know that our life matters, that our life has meaning, that we're here for a reason. And we all fear abandonment and rejection. So our actions are always, always, always on an unconscious level driven by avoiding more abandonment and rejection or creating more love, acceptance, and respect. We all want to be loved and seen and heard, right? So wherever we can get comfort that supports us in feeling like our life matters, it has meaning there's something bigger than just coming here, you know, going through the motions and, and leaving, uh, that whatever that is for people, that's great. You know, for some people, they have a car accident or they have a major health scare. They, they'll have something but actually, over the years, instead of getting harder, they get softer. Yeah, that's true too. That's very. I very think true. back to this. This is a, maybe a simple example, uh, but it comes to mind. So I'll share it. That uh, you know, we go through life, and someone cuts us off. We're like, oh, what a loser! Oh, pay attention. We have no idea <laughs> why that person cut us off. So fast forward to years later, when I got more mature, and my cat died. And my cat had been with me for 17 years. And I was never even a cat person. I love all animals, but I always grew up with dogs. And then I just kind of inherited these roommates' cats. And so my cat, who I loved a bit, died. And, of course, I knew. She's 17. She's lived a great life. Mm -hmm. Of course, she's going to go. But it's still devastating to lose a family member if that's how you view your pets, which is how I view my pets. And then on top of that, you also have this awareness, like, oh, my goodness. 17, I spent 17 years of my life with this amazing little being of love beside me and all of the things that she went through with me in my life. So um, so she had kidney failure. It came over really quickly. I had to drive up to the vet to go and see her, and I knew it wasn't good. And so I was out of it, right? I probably was cutting people off in traffic, not because I was trying to, mm-hmm. but because I was out of it. Yeah. And I, I really thought I was paying attention and I was doing my best, but I was in shock and I was very, very upset. And for probably about two weeks after that, I was amazed at how much grief I was in. It was painful. It was way more painful than I even could have predicted it would be. And I knew it was going to be painful. Yeah. I loved that little, little um, nugget, right? And she was a rescue, so I nursed her and, you know, we, we were very bonded. But I remember having to go out and get groceries during that time thinking, I really hope people are nice to me today. My heart was so tender that had someone snipped at me because I was taking too long in a grocery store lineup or maybe, you know, I was not driving as fast as I could have on the street or maybe I sat at a red light too long when it had turned green. You know, all those things that every human does at some point. Mm -hmm. I was so grateful that people were so kind to me. I didn't have anyone be rude or or you know whatever to me during that time and I was so grateful because my heart was so tender I couldn't have imagined what it what it would have done to me right like how it would have um you know knocked me on my butt let's just say right had they done that mm-hmm. and it's not that we don't know this intellectually but it's those moments in life where we think yeah I so it was in the awareness of that time that I realized I need to be way more compassionate to people I need to stop making assumptions about what someone's up to or what they're not up to when they stay, you know, a little, like three seconds longer at a green light or they, you know, 
are driving five five miles under the speed limit or all those things that we in the rat race of our life can get annoyed by when things aren't flowing how do we you know have more compassion and recognize that everyone has a tender heart and at some moments in life it may be way more tender than others and so am i proud of how i'm interacting with other people and you know how does that sort of translate so I keep that kind of stuff in mind, and my point is that around evolving, I really try to stay in a place of curiosity as opposed to assumption when I'm dealing with other people. So I feel like I, my boundaries are more solid in a lot of ways as I've gotten older. I'm not going to let people run their caca on me. No. I'm really clear about that. But I'm also way more easygoing. And I say to my son, who's nine, we kind of joke about the fact that he's lucky he has older parents because I say, you know, his, his dad and I are just too old to yell and scream. I probably <laughs> wouldn't have yelled and screamed when I was younger. <laughs> but there's so much we let go because it's like we just, we don't need to. We don't need things to be perfect. We have enough emotional maturity and life experience at this point to soften in certain areas. Yeah. Yeah. I'm, uh, first of all, thank you for opening up all those things and being a little vulnerable about some of your own personal life experience. I think a lot of people can really, I personally have lost pets, cats, dogs. <laughs> uh, we even had a rabbit when I was a kid. Uh, and mm. yeah, that's a painful lot. And not to mention most of us, uh, whether up to this point or at some point we'll lose someone uh, who's a human that we love as well. And and that's an interesting uh, what these things do to us and this grieving and, and, and so on. And, and I think about the things you're saying um, in terms of you, you talk about in traffic, for example, uh, and, and then you were also talking about the motivations people have about avoiding abandonment and rejection uh, or creating more love and acceptance uh, in their lives and it seems like th that's kind of the core of a lot of what governs us as people. We all may do different things with it, uh, but uh, I'm just I'm just kind of curious. What is it about all this? It seems like as we're selfish, we're kind of maybe more protect when we're when we're judging the person in traffic and screaming and honking or whatever the things people do. Just to use this since we've been talking about it, <laughs> uh, mm -hmm. what are what are we trying to protect in ourselves? Are we, are we trying to protect something, or are we just being selfish? Because it seems as we let down these barriers of selfishness, it's kind of is a barrier. It's kind of a wall that that once you let that down, you can connect more with the the greater energies around you and and uh, people and mm -hmm. so on. Um, what what is it about these things? Are we trying to protect ourselves? Is because that's kind of what it sounded like you were saying, and uh, yeah, it can it can be a lot of things. I think for me, I can just speak for myself. But I was in a really serious car accident when I was twenty one because someone wasn't paying attention, mm. and I I saw my life flash before my eyes. And if anyone's ever had a near death experience, I know they'll get what I'm talking about. It's a very surreal experience, but you truly see your life flash before you in probably a nanosecond, but it feels like about a 30 second, maybe 45 second movie that you're watching, right? Of all the things you've done right and done wrong and, mm. you know, whatever. Yeah. But uh, for me, when people are not paying attention on the road or they're texting or, you know, when I see uh, people that are drinking and driving, things like that, I I know what happens. I know the impact of what happens when people don't pay attention. So when I perceive, and I'll say that very purposely, when I perceive that people are not paying attention, then 
I have a visceral sort of reaction to that, right? Where it's, it's even less about them impacting my life. I just know that they are going to potentially change the trajectory of someone's life forever by the choices they're making in that moment. That's mm-hmm. also based on my perception. I don't know why they're swerving on the road, or I don't know why. It could be that they literally just lost their husband. Yeah. I mean, I mean, and that's it... why they're stalled at the light, because they are in shock, and their reaction time is on a three-second delay. Okay. I mean, it sounds like you've you've developed a compassion for people. Some people mm-hmm. might assume, and I've, I've been guilty of this, plus, as I mentioned to you before, and my audience knows I used to live in L.A., so it's easy to get frustrated in traffic. <laughs> um, yeah. But there's all kinds of, I guess, responses, reactions. I keep going back to Stephen Covey and the seven habits uh, once in a while in our podcast, the first habit being be proactive, like being conscious of our decisions, not just reactive and and naturally flowing with with our imperfect or imperfect way of, of response of maybe just getting angry or even scared or other things. Um, so uh-huh. th- this is all interesting to me. Uh, something about our conversation. I, I'm kind of curious if, if I were your client, I mean, I'm willing to open up here, you know, publicly for people too. And if you don't, <laughs> if you don't want to do that, we can talk about hypothetically what you do with your clients, but what is it that uh-huh. you do? Um, I don't mean to shift gears either, but uh, mm-hmm. <laughs> what is it that you do or what would things be that you would ask me if, you know, as I, like all humans, admittedly, we're trying mm-hmm. to to uh, be in our purpose more and, and inspired and all these things that it sounds like you help people to do. What would the things be that you would say and ask your client or me if I, if I were, <laughs> if you want to do that? Because I'm open to do that. Yeah, well, you and I haven't, We've never met, so I want to put that out to everyone listening so that people know that when I'm asking you this, I really don't know, uh, you know, your backstory to the True. degree other than, you know, what I might find on the Internet. Mm-hmm. So if you and I were working together, I'd want to get a sense of, on a scale of 1 to 10, 10 being the highest, how happy you are with your life and how things are unfolding. And then I'd want to know what area of your life tends to be the area that you're consistently most dissatisfied with and the one that you're most satisfied with, because I'd want to find a way to create harmony in all the different containers in your life and, and help move you towards a direction of feeling like you can have it all. Okay. If anyone's read the big leap by, by Gay Hendricks, they'll know that he talks about the fact that we all tend to have one area in our life that doesn't, doesn't uh, rise to the occasion because we have been so conditioned and socialized to believe that we're selfish uh, or we're under attack or whatever, if it looks like we have it all. So we try to dull down our life in some ways unconsciously, all unconscious. We don't sit here and create a plan about how do I sabotage myself, right? But unconsciously, there'll be an area that we will let slide in our life because we're already anticipating attack from other people or judgment or having to apologize for having a life that looks too good or things like that. So I'd want to get a sense of what that was for you or, you know, anyone I was working with so that I could help them make peace with how to be okay with people being triggered by our success. Because people mm-hmm. will always be triggered at any level. I've been at all different levels of success. And people will always be triggered by that. And that's 1 million percent a reflection on them and how they're navigating their own journey. It has nothing, absolutely nothing to do with us. Yeah. So that would be where I would start. And 
Um, and, you know, I'd want to explore, like, what are some of the things that have always been on your dreams come true list that you haven't given yourself permission to to actualize? For some people, it's travel. There's maybe some um, purpose-related things that people have wanted to do, but it seems too big. It's another reason why we don't move forward is because our dreams seem too big, and they are. They're meant to be bigger than us, and they're not meant to be done alone. And we are meant to hire team members or ask for mentors or you know, um, have colleagues or friends or whatever helps out. Like right now we're putting a deck in our home and my husband and I have been kind of putting it aside because it's like, Oh, the thought of us doing that together is daunting. Mm-hmm. But then my da- dad offered to help us and he built a gazillion decks yeah. and instantly yeah. we can start making a plan. Cause it's like, Oh, thank God. It no longer <laughs> feels too insurmountable to do this thing. Now I know that's just a deck. I get it. Right. But it's meant to be a metaphor for, the, the myriad of times that we will set goals for ourselves and we get excited at first, right? Yeah, look at this goal. Oh my God. Yeah. I really make that happen. Yeah. And then we contract. Like we instantly, that's what the monkey mind does. It instantly wants to tell us about all the reasons we're going to be unsafe. So that would be the other thing that you and I would do is I would want to understand. And it, it seems counterintuitive, but I would want to understand, okay, well, here's these things that you want in life. Now tell me the worst case scenario when those things come true. And you'd be like, well, what do you mean the worst case scenario? That Wouldn't that be the best case scenario? And I would say, well, yes. And your unconscious part of you has already decided something bad is going to happen when you finally fulfill your dreams. So we need to figure out what that is so that you don't get stuck in your upper limit and keep creating Groundhog Day and not moving forward on whatever it is you're meant to move forward on because you're already mentally preparing for attack, for example. Yeah. Well, yeah, I appreciate you explaining uh, that process in a nutshell. And I I think generally a lot of us are waiting for attack and hiding under a rock in some capacity. And to answer your questions personally uh, as well, uh, I... I would say I feel like life ebbs and flows. Sometimes you feel better or worse about how your life is going in general, and I think most people can probably relate to that. Um, I I personally would probably say that uh, as far as my satisfaction level in life is probably in the range of a 6 or 7 out of the 1 to 10 scale. And, uh, and, and I would also... Uh, add just that i mean i'm very grateful i have two healthy boys who i love spending time with i i I love giving to others and i'm not sure if that's a way that i myself have decided that i get love as well i mean here i am doing a podcast called empower humans (laughs) so uh and and my wife who many know that i'm no longer with i spend a lot of our marriage building her up as her her career and also growing up all boys i i had a lot of kind of rough around the edges probably uh, habits, behaviors, views of the world in the sense that uh, that I, I didn't, you know, I didn't learn about the sensitivity of women, <laughs> let's say. Uh, so I, and I'm not trying to excuse because I'm responsible for me. I'm a grown adult. Uh, but so I, for, when I was a kid, my parents split up when I was four or five. Uh, and, and so my mom, we lived with my mom in the house for a little bit and then she remarried and moved actually to Vegas, where I am now, oddly enough. And I was in Albuquerque, uh, New Mexico. So I, I we stayed with my dad. So it was me, my brothers, again, all boys, and my dad uh, for a while there. And we'd visit my mom periodically. And there was a sense of loss there, as you might imagine. Any child kind of losing a parent, whether it's through a death or a divorce or separation, there's that sense of loss. And so I had that as well. So I remember distinctly 
going. I'm, I'm opening up vulnerability here. I come come to Vegas, I think, the first time to visit my mom when I was probably like seven at that point after she, you know, left town. And uh, but I, I don't remember when you're a kid, everything feels like forever. Summer, it feels like 10 years and things like that. So we'd visit my mom. It was probably summer. It felt like 10 years. Uh, and then we had to come home and we realized, oh, you're not going to be there. And so my brother and I literally, I think, cried all the way home on a flight by ourselves, like, you know, Southwest Vegas to Albuquerque kind of thing. <laughs> and people trying to comfort us on the plane. Uh, and so that's, that's kind of a reflection of my overall childhood experience. And so uh, I don't want to talk your head off about my, and this isn't like we're paying some sort of client session here, but for purposes of, mm -hmm. of people listening, they can hear kind of what you do as well. Mm -hmm. Um, uh, so it, I developed kind of an anger independence thing as probably a shield and, and it drew uh -huh. me into like angry music, you know, heavy metal kind of stuff. And I'd start going to these concerts uh -huh. and I started playing the drums of all things, uh, uh -huh. which is not, it's not like playing the trumpet. It's a very aggressive beating something <laughs> and making noise, very loud noise, I might add, while doing it. Uh -huh. And I loved it and I got, you know, pretty decent at it. I ain't no professional drummer out there, but I went to school for it too when I was 18. My mom lived in LA at the time, so I went to music school. So now that I've opened up some and probably too much, <laughs> what would you say to those things and or ask me? Or if you want to move on, we could do that too. I'm open to whatever you want to do. But I, I don't mind mm -hmm. being open to people and my audience. I don't mind being vulnerable. I appreciate that you are, and I know that it, it we have to be at a certain level of um, trust of someone for sure, but also emotional maturity to be willing to do that instead of carrying, you know, an armor around and making it look like our life is great and everyone else are the ones that are struggling and we've got it all together. Yeah. So a lot of what you shared, you know, I see this a lot because as I mentioned before, uh, as children, I know this from all my investigations, but even just like I've talked to tens of thousands of people now over the years wow. in my business and all of us as kids, we just have an innate ability to decide that if there's a divorce or if there's abuse or if there's alcohol or, or whatever's going on in the house, that it must ultimately have been something that we did wrong, that we are the problem. And when we unconsciously go through life as though we're the problem, we're either trying to protect people from us as the problem. So, for example, in a relationship, we won't really ever let anyone in to the degree that we can because we don't want to subject them to any kind of problem we might bring into their world. Mm. Or we don't let them in because we figure they're going to find out one day that we're a hot mess <laughs> and they're just going to leave us anyway, so I can't let them in too close. That's just one example of how that can affect our relationships. Additionally, we're very, very suggestible as children, especially up to age five, but I would say even longer than that. And so we tend to, even though we might know it's wrong intellectually, we tend to think and or unconsciously model the relationship of our parents. Yeah. Because that's all we know. It doesn't even mean that it's right or wrong. It's just that we, we literally use a template. Even if you think now in life, right, with you watching your podcast, you would have followed some templates. Even if they weren't formal templates, you would have just been observing how other people do it and formed your own template in your head. I've got to follow this template. We do this for business. We do this in other things. So uh, we have to extract ourselves from 
believing that we have to remain loyal to how our parents did things. It's very common for us to take on our parents' money stories. My parents were constantly grabbing me by the hand, taking me to the kitchen window, pointing in the backyard that had no trees in it Mm -hmm. at all, and saying, do you see a money tree back there? Every time I would ask for an actual need to be met, like, (laughs) my clothes are too small, I need a new pair of pants, you know, that kind of thing. And uh, this was a, I mean, constant, several times a week, they would do this. Well, like, no wonder that I had massive scarcity that I needed to get over, especially in business, when everything about business is about asking for money, making money, paying money. You know, I had to really, like, the money stuff was really in my face. And I'm sure you can relate to that as well. Yeah. And um, and so, you know, there's a level of unraveling we need to do and, and disconnecting we need to do from other people's stories so that we can be sovereign in our own journey rather than... Um, unconsciously expecting the path. So what'll happen is we expect the path to repeat itself. Even if it's someone else's past, our brain unconsciously convinces us that we are going to live someone else's past. So not unlike dating, when we date, we meet someone, we don't even know we're doing it. We might semi-consciously know, but when we date, we go, okay, well, is this person going to be like the other people I dated? We're already holding the new person accountable to the sins of people that came before them. Mm-hmm. And then we wonder why the relationship doesn't work out or why it's harder to trust or why we, um, you know, kind of throw a little, what my friend calls turds in the punch bowl, <laughs> right? Where we just try to ruin the party yeah. <laughs> and we yeah. know we're doing it, but we don't know why. And we're like, why am I doing this? It's because we are still expecting people to betray us the way someone from the past did. Yeah. So our journey is, you know, we keep waiting for a destination. We have to remember that life is really about a journey of becoming. We become more and more of who we came here to be, more and more of the truth of who we really are. And we spend a lifetime literally literally releasing ourselves from things that were never true about us in the first place. Yeah. Well, that's, that's all, uh, I agree. I think with what you're saying, I, you know, and people have these various challenges, whether there's some sort of trauma as a child, abuse, alcoholism, uh, various poor choices they made, the divorces and all these various things that people go through. And then, uh, there's how we react to those things. And of course, in my case, I just kind of learned, it kind of became a thing where it was like a a deserving because I always wanted the cool bike, the cool pants, the cool things that that young boys had in those days. This was the 1980s. And uh, my dad and love him. I spent a couple hours with him on the phone yesterday while I was working on other stuff. Uh, (laughs) I talked to him all the time. He's 70, almost 73 now. Um, But we also have uh, you know, certain challenges that have arisen with that parent-child relationship. And some of what, what's gone on with me personally is this uh, blocks with money and abundance in general. And I think a lot of people can relate to that in various, like you talk about the money tree with your parents, <laughs> the, the conversation at the window. Um, and so he would always, he'd kind of try and it would always be kind of like a half, half-ass half version, pardon language kind of thing of, oh, well, we won't... Uh, we won't do like the, we won't spend the money. We'll do like the, the cheap version of whatever it was. And there were times where that he didn't, but so for me, it became this thing of, well, I don't deserve those things. And then that kind of, uh, inhibits your self-esteem. Uh, and then it kind of becomes a chain reaction in life in all areas, finances, relationships, uh, you know, business and so on as well. 
how do people get out of these things? How sh- how would I go about getting out of some of these blocks? And I'm not trying to be self-serving, but uh, and you oh, know, a lot of these people that you work with, uh, I appreciate that people are vulnerable. Maybe not everyone does it on a podcast, and we're probably not going near as deep as you do with your <laughs> clients. But mm-hmm. how should I or yeah, others? Yeah, no, we go really deep <laughs> in yeah. a private session. We go really deep, so. People, when people are working with me, they have a certain level of, <clears throat> I'll say, spiritual awareness, right? They've had energy work done before, and they, um, you know, have a belief that there's something bigger than us and kind of have a sense of universal principles and so on. So we just, yeah, we tend to go deep because once, once people come to me and knock on my door, they know that this is kind of the, the deeper core stuff that we're getting to and getting them, you know, we have to get to this stuff to get them truly in alignment with their purpose. But there's a lot of things people can do. Hypnosis is a great tool. There's uh, something called emotional freedom technique, which is tapping on energy meridians in the body. That's really good for breaking patterns. That's kind of more scientific. So for people who want to know that there's proof in quantum physics and that it actually works, there's a lot more scientific stuff on that. So that can be palatable for, for people that are relatively new into more alternative ways of doing things. There's uh, box flower remedies, which are very, very inexpensive, and they you can just Google them online and find out, you know, what box flower remedies are. It's literally, you know, distilled flowers in an alcohol base. They're little droppers, so it's not you're not getting drunk on them, or you're like literally putting two drops under your tongue. Uh, but they um, are very, very powerful, and just kind of set it and forget it sort of things that people can use. Meditation's great. Yoga is great because it forces us to get in our bodies, get out of our heads and into our bodies and be present in the moment. And it's in that presence that we really get to know ourselves, right? We, we, I think part of the issue with people being um, physically distancing and kind of having to be inside and all the things that people have had to go through, that it, for people that were used to being with themselves, it wasn't as challenging. I'm not saying it's not challenging because it's challenging in, in a variety of different ways, but from a being with yourself perspective, it wasn't as challenging for folks. So we've we've bought into this whole culture of constantly having devices to keep us distracted and creating lifestyles that keep us distracted. So the more we're distracted, the less we can be in touch with who we really are and what mm. it, what a priority is. If, if there's any gift that's come out of this time, it's that we've all been forced to to reconnect with what really matters. Intellectually, we knew it. We could have answered these questions in a very sort of superficial way before, right? Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah, family's important. But now we're like, oh, yeah, <laughs> family is really actually really important. And I'm going to make sure that I continue to make family a priority when all of this is over, whenever that is. Mm-hmm. Good, good points. I uh, I think about, in fact, I was listening yesterday to uh, our friend Tony Robbins, who we mentioned earlier, it's an old recording of of one of his uh, big seminars. Um, I think it's "Unleash the Power Within" (UPW) they call it. <laughs> but um, uh-huh. he talks about interrupting patterns, and uh-huh. so uh, he he used a couple examples: a guy who was smoking like crazy and wanted to stop, and another guy who was mystery. He was kind of a super high level uh, boss and uh, wealthy and all these things, but mistreating uh, his employees, mistreating his spouse and all these things, partially because he could. And uh, what he did with these people is started to associate pain with 
the things that they wanted to change because these are patterns that the play we're we as people are are uh pattern people i mean that's what we that's what we like as human beings i should say is, is patterns and so when you start to break those patterns it's how we, we're all about associations aren't we as people like we associate just like we talked about earlier with language this sound as we talk here all these sounds mean certain things we associate them with certain meaning or objects or various things so when you're associating pain with certain bad habits uh and and he was even going to the point of of physically uh creating pain like smacking them on the hand and things that when they were doing something uh, then it starts to break that pattern mentally. What do you think of those those ideas and thoughts? And I don't know if you suggest it because you talk about meditation and things, um, and those things I've engaged in those things as well, and I think those are very valuable suggestions. But these these are some of the things that I've learned, heard, and seen out in the world. Uh, associating one of the things Tony himself says is what you associate with pleasure and what you associate with pain will determine your destiny. <laughs> Whether that's drugs, whether that's business and money and all the various things, you could look at that. Uh, do you have any thoughts on that, or am I just rambling? <laughs> no, I think I that's great. Um, you know, there's so many things we can do to change the neural pathways, and just by changing those, we we change everything because it automatically changes our perspective. There's a type of dance called NIA, N-I-A, and it, it stands for neuro something. I, I, you'd have to look it up. <laughs> okay. I don't know what the acronym stands for, but it, it literally is about that. And the dance is specifically designed to create new neural pathways in the brain. So you can hmm. literally Google Nia dance, and it's out of uh, Oregon. I think they started it, and they have it's kind of like Zumba, but it's a little more, you know, purposeful in um, in creating new new pathways. But for example. Uh, if we pay attention to how we walk, I know for me, I always put my right foot before my left. Just a natural unconscious pattern I have. Mm -hmm. So when I want to change any pattern in my life, I start mindfully putting my left foot before my right foot when I walk. And it feels weird, but it's good for me to do that. Yeah. It's good for me to brush my teeth with my left hand instead of my right hand. Mm. It's good for me to uh, eat with my left hand, like have my fork in my left hand instead of my right hand. It's good to do that anyways, but definitely when we want to change a pattern, because every time we force the brain to snap out of a out of autopilot, it frees us to have different perspectives. These are all obviously um, no-cost <laughs> things that we can do all the time. Yeah. Sleeping on a different side of the bed. Change, every time I up-level, I change my routine. So I'm part of the 5 a.m. club. Mm -hmm. And I still wake up at 5 a.m., but I will change up the order in which I do things in the morning. Mm. I'll change up the types of meditation I'm doing. I'll change up the types of workouts I'm doing. And um, that way I'm not getting too comfortable because it's in the comfort that we get complacent. Mm. So if we want to grow, we, can't, we just don't grow in comfort. It doesn't mean we have to be in pain. It doesn't mean we have to be uncomfortable for the sake of being uncomfortable. But when we've explicitly told ourselves that we want to grow, any time where it's too easy for us to find comfort and stay in comfort, it's, it's just that much harder to change because we haven't created the conditions that allow for us to 
evolve and kind of move beyond what we know to be true in that moment. Mm. That's that's uh, really fascinating. I've heard uh, a lot of things on that uh, recently, and so there must be uh, a lot of truth to that as far as uh, just changing up simple things. Like you say, there's no cause. The only cost is decision and then action where you're going to brush your teeth with your left hand and change your morning mm-hmm. routine and, and putting the left foot instead of the right foot in front of the other. Um, but it seems like doing that, that does make some sense that that will kind of keep your neural pathways on their toes, so to speak, that, oh, this person's changing things up. We can't just get into ruts and, and autopilot patterns constantly. One of the things Tony said that I, that I had to laugh at when I was listening yesterday was, uh, and you talk about hypnosis, and I know there's a lot of value there, and I think he said this kind of jokingly, but his job is to get people out of hypnosis because a lot of us live our lives in some state of hypnosis. We talked a few weeks ago with somebody about that. Um, Thou, uh, we spend a lot of our day in the, these kind of states. And, and when you talk about these patterns, one thing I think of too, uh, we're going to get close to wrapping up here too, but um, people, there's a lot of people who have kind of an OCD, obsessive compulsive disorder. Um, and I think a lot, most of us have some degree of that, that, that maybe may not inhibit us to the extent that it might others. But it's like, oh, I have to hit the light switch 12 times or like various things like that that some people might say, oh, that's funny. I, why would someone do that? Um, but is there, is there something to that as people like that maybe people who do more of those things to more of extreme, like they've really decided in some maybe subconscious realm to connect deeper on patterns that uh, I feel more secure by, by doing these things constantly. Uh, and a lot of times there's number associations. I have to do this so many times or, uh, it's all kinds of things related to their body of how they comb their hair and how they turn on and off the lights and how they walk. And, and in some ways it's kind of, it's kind of enslaving, isn't it? Uh, but what are your thoughts on that? Or have you dealt with OCD kinds of things in the past? I have dealt with it for sure. I, I think some people use that, that language jokingly, right. Just to explain away some, um, yeah, eccentricities that's that they have, <laughs> yeah. and and it may not actually fall into that. Uh, you know, I I have certain things in my home where my husband will look at me and think, you know, why is that such a big deal? I don't know, it's a big deal to me. I like this thing this certain way, right? And for him, it's the same thing. Mm-hmm. But uh, I, I'm a big believer in doing things that work for us for as long as they work for us. So if someone needs to you know, say a mantra three times because they've learned that the power of three is, is powerful, then more power to that person. If someone needs to, you know, say some sort of mantra at 11, 11 every day, well, cool. That's your thing. Right. And, uh, there's no right or wrong in that. I, as I mentioned earlier, I've learned that there's no such thing as right or wrong. We have such a broad definition of what's normal we have no idea what happens behind closed doors, even if we think we do. I can guarantee that. And um, and so whatever allows people to have as flowing of a ride in this thing we call life as possible, <laughs> whatever it is that helps them do that, that of course isn't you know a detriment to other people in a big way or to themselves, then I'm all for whatever people choose for themselves. Yeah. I think that I think that's uh, also some great points. I um, we as people, I think, tend to cling to things in terms of our insecurities and uh, you know the the things that we grew up with. A lot of times, people project these things 
there's so many topics on this. We, I think we just need to establish that none of us people attain some sort of, for lack of a better word, perfection in this state of our existence, in this mortal sphere of earth where we are right now. Um, and I say that uh, implying that I personally believe there's much greater things. I mean, we just look out in the telescopes in the universe. The universe is such a big place. There's a lot more to this. And then personally, I'll just open up to my audience. I believe as a general thing, there is much, much more to our existence than just what we see around us and the hypnosis state we can live our lives in of just, oh, going and making money and and eating Burger King and going home and all the things people do. I say that because I grew up in fast food with my dad. <laughs> but um, so I hear people in relationships talk about if you're going to be pragmatic and successful in a relationship, not that I should speak because I'm just coming out of a long marriage, but uh, it, it should be a topic of what's right, not who's right kind of thing. Like we're looking at the bigger picture, not just let's let's lift one person up on a pedestal because like Dr. Phil says, and I don't watch Dr. Phil a lot, but in the times that I have, I've heard him say things like, uh, do you want to be right or do you want to be married? Uh, and so uh -huh. the, the main idea that I'm getting at is opening our realm, our view of life, expanding our horizon, so to speak, to just to see more, to be open to more and then to process it, you know, pragmatically and effectively. Um, just, just an openness because things either enslave us or they free us. And it's up to us to kind of determine what that is. Um, so I, I, again, I don't mean to ramble, but I just get all these thoughts as you're talking. And, uh, I think you have a lot of great principles and truth, uh, behind the things you're saying. Um, is there anything more you want to get on as far as your, uh, or talk about as far as your, your website, your podcast, um, how you, uh, reach and help people and, and how they can get in touch with you. <laughs> mm -hmm. Thank you for asking that. And or yeah, touch I on all the other stuff conversation I today because I, I think people appreciate just people being able to listen to real conversations. And it's been my experience when I've been the recipient of that, right. When I've had a chance to listen to people talking, I usually take away an aha or maybe I, I have something normalized for me where maybe I thought I was a big weirdo. <laughs> And then someone says that they do the same thing as me. And I think, oh, thank God, it's not just me. Yeah. So uh, I mentioned before about the Akashic Records. So when people go to www.souljourneys.ca forward slash soul, they will get access to a free gift where it goes into, I have the nine most powerful questions to align to your purpose. I go into much greater detail about what the Akashic Records are and how to use them. And I also have a PDF in there about how to actually learn how to access your Akashic Records. It's something I've dedicated a good chunk of time to. So if people don't get it right away, please don't make yourself wrong for that because, it, you know, I'm still learning about them and I've been doing them for a long time. So that is a way to learn more about what I mentioned before. I spend a great deal of time on Facebook. I have a group called The Purpose Coffee, which is for spiritual entrepreneurs that are growing their businesses. Uh, I My team manages all my other social media. So the only one that you'll personally find me on and, and engage with me on is um, Facebook. But I do have a presence on Instagram and other things, which I couldn't even tell you what those handles are now. <laughs> uh -oh. <laughs> and then I have a podcast called The Seven Figure Club Podcast, which is to teach people a variety of different ways of how they can create seven figures because most people including myself at one time, thought it was hard. And I thought, geez, I've already worked this hard to get here. How much harder am I going to have to work to get to seven figures? 
And so I have various guests on that talk about investing and different business models and, and things like that, mindset, et cetera, to help people move through their money blocks. Great. That sounds uh, incredible. So there's a lot of resources and uh, ways to get in touch and stay in touch and stay you know, connected uh, with all the wonderful things you're doing. Um, and you talk about the seven figure club remind me, I've, I'm actually working kind of with a mentor right now too, who, uh, told me, uh, one, one of the things that he learned some years ago that was such a simple thing, but made such a profound impact when it, when it came to his economic standing in the world was to make a million dollars look small in your mind. And there's various ways to do that. Just look at it as small. You can prospectively visualize yourself looking down on a million dollars like that's that's not that much money because a lot of people kind of look up to a million dollars or or whatever that number is for you maybe it's 10 billion maybe it's uh, and uh uh i'm not going to get into all my money issues that i've that i've dealt with over the years i've touched on some of the reasons behind some of it but making it look small and also breaking it down whatever that thing is making it very specific to where like if you were to talk again about a million dollars break it down to Oh, it's so many dollars per month and then per week and then per day and then per hour and then per minute and even per second. This is what it is. If you're going to make a million dollars in a year, it's like 11 cents a second or something. And oh, that's uh, that's that's something that I can embrace, 11 cents. Uh, of course, that's every second or whatever. I don't remember what the number was, but I'm just throwing something out there. Um, so make these things. It's like you need to see things in a perspective of of who you are and what you can be with them is kind of what I've learned. And it sounds like that's a lot of what... I don't want to put words in your mouth, but a lot of what I'm hearing in a lot of ways you teach, putting your life in perspective and, and then finding this, mm-hmm. this enlightened state to, to actually have, you know, purpose-driven business, to actually, you know, heal these wounds, these money story wounds that people have and, and just emerge as the greatest continually growing, of course, uh, individual and being that we can be. Uh, so I appreciate all mm-hmm. the things you're saying. I feel like I'm rambling a lot with you, but you you put a lot, there must be something good mm-hmm. to, of the things you're saying because it's putting a lot of good thoughts. I feel like good thoughts in, in my <laughs> head. So <laughs> uh, a lot of great, uh, I think, priceless gems uh, we've shared today. Um, so again, uh, Jennifer Longmore, the Seven Figure Club podcast, Soul Journeys with an S, Soul Journeys, that's S-O-U-L, journeys.ca. And uh, I appreciate it. Great uh, insights, great uh, techniques. And this is just, again, tip of the iceberg. People need to continue to explore and, of course, contact, stay in touch with you and, of course, our podcast. Um, so thank you, Jennifer. Thank you for thank you for all your time and for our audience. Empower yourself. Empower the world around you. Thank you. Thanks so much for listening to Empower Humans. If you enjoyed the show, please rate and review this podcast. For more great content and to stay up to date, visit EmpowerHumans.com. We'll catch you next time.